Hey everyone, welcome back to Raising Unicorns, a Harmon Brothers podcast. And in today's episode, we explore our marketing process when creating crowdfunding videos and how we raise 30 million collective dollars for different creative projects. Unicorns are real. In the past eight years, Harmon Brothers has helped raise five unicorns. Yes, that's five companies with a billion dollar valuation, with at least six more companies right on the cusp of becoming unicorns. Here on Raising Unicorns, we share the lessons we've learned to help you grow your business by tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. It's time to start raising a unicorn of your own. We're here today on the podcast talking specifically about Reg CF or crowdfunding for different ventures of different types. And we've done quite a few of them over the years here at Harm Brothers because it's kind of the primary vehicle that we've been able to get many of our original content pieces off the ground or ones that we're involved in conjunction with Angel Studios. Yep. So we're here to talk a little bit about that and kind of how it's a different beast than other types of marketing efforts and kind of things that we've learned along the way as we've had success with this. Because how many millions of dollars have we raised on these Reg CFs so far? Do you know? So to date... We've helped raise over $30 million with these campaigns. Yeah, which is kind of cool. For me, I saw it firsthand with Tuttle Twins. We first raised a million dollars, and then the regulation actually changed Mm -hmm. and opened up to where it was no longer limited to a million dollars. You could do it up to five million, Mm -hmm. and then we raised an additional $2.7 million several months later. So that was pretty cool. At the time, that made us the number one crowdfunded kid show in the history of the world. Until Wingfeather beat you. <laughs> Until Wingfeather beat us. Until we turn around and beat it with Wingfeather, right? Right. Yeah, that was kind of the cool thing, right? Is it, it literally, we held that record for two was, or three months, something like that. It wasn't long. It wasn't long. And then Wingfeather raised $5 million, becoming the number one crowdfunded kids show of all time. Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely a beneficiary of learning yes. a lot from both The Chosen and from Tuttle, Tuttle Twins, Twins and yeah. like the pains that we went through there. Because like I said, it's a very different marketing campaign and ask of the audience versus like what you normally would do for selling a product, right? Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about yeah. that and how it's different? One of the biggest ways it's different is that in your campaign, you speak differently to an audience that you are raising funds from, specifically that you're asking to invest in the show for a potential return on investment as opposed to when you're maybe just doing a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo and you're just saying, hey, come support us. This is so cool. We think you'll really like it. You want to see this exist. You're a super fan and you also want to get the first run of the product or whatever it is, mm-hmm. or you get to see the, the show the first or whatever. That I think is a little bit different than this where it's like, this is how you can actually make money. You have mm-hmm. to let people know, not only is this something you believe in, because I think that has to be there first and foremost, mm-hmm. and show them how it's going to feel a hole in the market that they're craving, that there's something that they're actually wanting to see how happen and then also, okay, how am I actually going to make my money back on this eventually? Or how could I make my money back? Because obviously we can't guarantee anything. Yeah, of course. And I think there's two parts you nailed and I want to dig into a little bit more. Like this is, I feel like a very normal thing we do. How is this differentiated in the marketplace? Or how is there a need in the marketplace that's unfulfilled at this time where this project fills that need in a meaningful way? Tuttle Twins, for instance, there was not a show for kids that was entertaining, but also taught these principles of freedom and of free market economics. And that was something that was completely devoid in the marketplace that yeah. didn't exist, right? Yeah, not not with the education, not with the entertainment, either of them, right? 
Right. Yeah. So that was like an easy layup of being like, this doesn't exist. You can't point to a single piece of content that fits this bill in that way. And then on the other side of that, there's also like, how are we going to monetize this to be a effective business? And what's the reasons to believe of why this could be something that would, you know, turn a profit in a meaningful way? A very similar case with Wing Feather, where there's a lot of fantasy stuff out there, but fantasy is becoming more and more adult and there's less fantasy that's more family friendly, but isn't really kiddish, you know, and really kind right. of like, benign and kind of boring. Yeah. Wingfeather fits this really nice sweet spot where it has stakes and it has weight to it, but it also has very like strong family values that underpin the entire story, right? And I think too, both of the, the arguments for the economic engine behind it is like some of the biggest franchises in history have been driven by toy sales and franchising, you know, licensing the toys and licensing a lot of the IP around it, like Pokemon and Toy Story, Cars. Yeah. Star Wars. Winnie the Pooh, Star Wars, you name it, right? That those are all cases where you see that 70% of the revenue from kids shows is driven by the merchandising. So that was one of the primary pitches with both Tuttle Twins and with Wing Feather Sagas. There's an opportunity to really make some money on the back end. Once we've created this content and made all these characters and stuff off of it, then people are going to want to own the shirts. They're going to want to own the toys, own all these accompanying products. Like a classic freedom as well, Derek t-shirt for sale at tuttletwins.tv right now. <laughs> tuttletwins.store. Sorry, tuttletwins.store. Sorry, That's right. That was a lot of the pitch. It was, okay, this is how we can get to profitability is through merchandising. Also, like you said, it's fulfilling a need that was there. Like There was no show like that at all that taught kids about freedom and economics. With Tuttle Twins and in the case of Wing Feather, there was nothing like it really out there where you could have a family-friendly, fun fantasy adventure that had those real core value underpinnings with it. Like nothing else exists out there like that right yeah, now. Yeah, that wasn't painful for parents to watch. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I read the full book series before I got on the project and I was blown away by like how he like treads this really fine line of really high fantasy, cool, fun, whimsy, but it's entertaining for me and also for my kids in a way that very few properties I've ever seen do anything like yeah. that. I can't even think of one. Catatrina Dragons maybe the closest. Yeah, but, something know. along those lines. But even, even then the stakes are even higher in, in some ways and it doesn't have that same underpinning, you know that is found in Wingfeather. And I think one of the other things that both Wingfeather Saga and Tuttle Twins had going for them was the evidence of a lot of market demand for the source material mm -hmm. for the books themselves. Tuttle Twins had sold. By the time we launched that campaign, I mean, they had sold in the hundreds of thousands of books. It's now millions. Mm -hmm. Literally, I think it's like four million copies of the books that have been sold. And I think the same was the case with Wingfeather Saga. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you know the numbers I don't know of the books. Post, but it was post-launch, but they had sold the hundreds of thousands of copies of the books. And yeah. it, it had been around for a number of years and it kind of had an underground crazy loyal support group of people who are diehards, they call them featherheads, mm -hmm. that just absolutely loved the source material and kind of kept this whole thing going for years while they were trying to get it into production. Yeah. And then they also have where Angel Studios is the distribution partner for both of the shows. There's also the revenue source of pay it forwards of people wanting to make the show available to others for free. And they can pay it forward for other people to be able to watch it for free. They get to watch it themselves for free by just downloading the Angel app. And so there's all these ways. And of course, that's from the chosen model. And then so much of the chosen success is also a little bit of the credibility factor that, oh, you can actually do something with this property or a show like The Chosen that's doing over a hundred million in revenue in a single year. You're like, oh, okay. There's, this can be successful. Yeah, yeah, this doesn't even have to like hit mega success and it can still 
do well. Really do great. Yeah. yeah. Going back to that same type of how can we monetize it and how is the market not addressing this need or want? Mm-hmm. Like the chosen was a clear, that was probably one of the clearest cut ones is like yeah. Hollywood was really bad. Yep. Unbelievably bad at representing like a Christian vision of like scriptural accounts of history. You yeah. Know? Biblical, biblical anything, stories. Almost, they were right? just always just face planting on that, right? Destroyed them with Hollywood effects and embellishment and like rewriting and like not even sticking to it. It's like, wait, this is the story of Noah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Christian Bale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that one, I think that was Russell. That was Russell Russell Crowe. That's right. Christian Bale Bale was was the Exodus one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Both of them were terrible. Both terrible. But Russell (laughs) Crowe. But Russell Crowe. But Christian Bale in both cases. But Joel Edgerton. Yeah. Um, Yes, Pharaoh. Was that what it was? I can't even remember. They were both so bad. They were both so bad. But yeah, there was so much pent-up demand for having a good show that had high production quality that also told the story uh, in more of a biblically accurate or at least true to the the spirit of the scriptures in a a way that the story was told. There was so much pent-up appetite for it. And it showed when we did that, like crowdfunding around that was one of the anchor points we had was The Passion of the Christ was the highest grossing independent film of all time at that point because it rang true with people. It was very much so representative of how people viewed the actual scriptural events, you know, it was very powerful to people and it showed in the box office. And it was another example of how this had legs underneath it from a monetization standpoint, from a business engine standpoint. It's so funny because in the case of both Wingfeather Saga and Tuttle Twins and the Passion of the Christ, it really had to come from people that just believed in it so wholeheartedly to mm-hmm. get behind it. I mean, even uh, the chosen and the chosen as well. What I mean by that is in order for the passion of the Christ to exist, Mel Gibson had to self-fund it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Which means he raked in mountains of cold, hard cash when it did really <laughs> well. You know, I mean, he was over like $300 million in, in box office, very successful hit for him and his production company, but it also wasn't something that any of the major studios were going to go and get behind. Yeah. They all took a pass on it. Yeah. And I think it was a very similar thing to the chosen Tuttle twins. Just, these are just properties that studios wouldn't have been like, Oh yeah, we're totally going to do a, make a TV show about Jesus. And it's going to, actually be good and be something that like can satisfy not only really inspire and satisfy Christian audiences, but that a casual broader audience. Yeah, broader audience can just watch it that doesn't consider themselves religious, maybe not even necessarily spiritual, but they're like, you know, I'm into these characters. This is is really good, good, you know? That was kind of one of the advantages of crowdfunding is just something coming into existence, this art that can come into existence that previously just would have never been able to find its way. For those that aren't familiar with the Hollywood system or like the studio system is there's some major gatekeepers that hold the financing for these productions to get made. And you can go shoot it yourself and be scrappy and have all the gumption in the world. But if you can't get past those gatekeepers in terms of financing and distribution, if you don't have those two pieces, there's almost, I mean, there's very, very few instances throughout the last, you know, five or six decades of any type of real independent film or series actually seeing the light of day. And so that's what's really neat for us is to be able to participate in this big new wave of crowdfunding media projects where we're giving the crowd an opportunity to invest in things that really resonate with them and to bring them into existence in a way that was previously just completely barred off from bringing into existence. For sure. And if we look at more of the marketing angle of it, having gone through this now myself, and I wish um, Johnny Vance that leads marketing at Tuttle Twins and is also a director and writer on the show and voices one of our characters. So does some of everything. He has a little bit. He does a few things. (laughs) 
what happens is when you launch your campaign, usually there's this initial rush of demand of people mm-hmm. that are like, oh, cool, it's launched. There's all this excitement around it. Usually there's some press that picks it up and these initial investments come in. And then you go through this period where that initial high kind of dies off and you go into the long slog of the work of doing the crowdfunding. And what is so necessary in that case is having an effective way to prospect, to be able to reach out to new audiences with your message, Mm -hmm. have them be convinced of what you're doing, the credibility of what you're trying to do, not only that it's going to be good, that it's something that they should believe in themselves, but that they could potentially make money with it. That's where the marketing comes in so much because that's where the day-to-day happens because you have to buy ads behind that. You have to find a way to fill that top of your funnel enough to have people trickle through the website and actually check out and part ways with their money and invest in your project. And that's a long slog. That's day after day. Usually these campaigns, you're opening them up for maybe 30 days once those initial one, two, three, four days are over and you see that big spike come in and then it's, okay, now we've got to find a way to bring in tens of thousands, maybe $50,000, $100,000 a day, whatever your calculation is of what you're trying to get to. And you have to have a way to predictably spend behind a marketing campaign that will bring in enough to make that worth it. And that's what has happened in the case of all of these campaigns is being able to find that formula with Tuttle Twins. We knew, and I forget what the the number was, but I think it was something along the lines of we spent a dollar, we knew there was $10 coming back by the time, you know, the campaign was all accounted for. Obviously, not all of that was a direct spend, but it was the umbrella of all of it coming through. And again, Johnny would have better numbers than I would. It might have been closer to, you know, spend it all and get five back or something along those lines. But that's the formula that you have to have because the urgency for investing doesn't kick in until towards the end of the campaign mm-hmm. when it's like, oh, there's only a week left. And then people are starting to check back in on it. And then they're starting to get the fear of missing out. The FOMO starting to kick in and they are putting in their money. And then all of a sudden you have this ramp up until the very last hours. And then it's over and hopefully you made your goal or hopefully it's enough to at least get you going or something along those lines. That's kind of the way the campaign plays out. So let me say it's it's very possible. It's very exciting. It's very cool. It's also like... It's tough. It is tough. It's a roller coaster ride yeah. to be a creator in that process of, oh, is my baby going to come to life? Is it not? Yeah, there's a lot of factors that come into making that work. Now, remind me, Daniel, when you guys did the Tuttle Twins fundraising one, the one with Zach in it, yes. did you guys do multiple variations on that one? I can't remember. Yeah, like, we did. Okay. We had multiple variations, multiple sort of cut downs or edits of the main video to test against different audiences. Mm-hmm. And we had, I think, three or four versions that were effective mm-hmm. where we could predictably bring back um, more money than we were spending. Other ones that just simply didn't work. We tested different intros to the videos, the mm-hmm. first five to 10 seconds of like what was going to play best and hold the audience's attention through. Yeah and communicate the message best, um, as well as, you know, different focuses on what aspect of the pitch we were focused on with that video. But yeah, we, we had to do that. And I think the same was the case with Wing Feather, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, that's like a standard practice at Harm Brothers that we see just in general. This is actually one part of the crossover on the Venn diagram that's very true, is making sure you have your couple of messages that you know, with just testing with audiences who you know you're in your core love group, that they resonate with, and then writing several different pieces of copy or different intros or different sections that emphasize those things differently. I asked you if you did that because I thought you did that because I remember there being a number of different cut down and different variations where we focused on some of it on the lack of education, focusing on yeah. these principles, some of it focusing on how important it is for kids to have critical skills and how the show teaches them the critical thinking skills they need to yep. succeed in life. You know, and the same thing with Wing Feather, where we've had focus of family being central to a story and not being discarded because that happens in every single fantasy book yeah. by like chapter one and a half. 
Let's kill like, the parents real fast. Kill the parents, <laughs> sweet. They get swept away in an adventure. They're stripped of all their siblings, and it's awesome. <laughs> but then they're on their own. So that was one of them. And then also, like, at the time, The Witcher had just come out, which was a show that was based on a video game, but it was, like, wildly graphic. And, like, it was kind of like one of those things where it's based on a video game that wasn't necessarily, at least the early Super Nintendo versions of it were not super graphic or violent or sexualized, but then it became this very graphic and violent and sexualized thing. So anyway, it was very interesting just to see which ones worked well. And they worked for, at least on Wing Feather, I think this is a case for Tuttle Twins too. Yep. They ebbed and flow and some worked with yeah. different audiences better than others. Yep. And some worked at some points better than others and they kind of shifted. Yep. But having all those in the hopper so you could move the levers as you're going through your campaign, I think on both of those accounts were very critical to actually getting it to that 5 million mark. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember even going through that scripting process with you on Wingfeather and looking at those different versions where one, you know, like you said, was focused on so much of the fantasy that's out there is, is diving into the world of graphic violence and nudity and sexualization and stuff, largely due to the success of something like Game of Thrones. Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, well, there's the formula. <laughs> Just, just got to throw some boobs in there and you've got, you've got a business model. Exactly right. I mean, like, well, maybe it's just a good story and that also happens to be part of it. Yeah. I'm sure there might have been some of both. <laughs> There's some people out there that I'm sure were lured in by that. And then another one was that I related to was focus on the family, Yeah, focus right? on the family. Family not being discarded by yeah. the wayside. The, yeah, you draw strength from your family mm-hmm. and from those ties and that those relationships are really important and that support is so necessary as you go through your own journey in life. And that that's something that you can draw power from in the story. That was a very compelling message to me as well. I think I remember saying, oh, maybe that's the one that's going to win out or whatever. But like you said, they both ended up working or like all three of them did or something for a while. Depending on the ebb and flow of the campaign and what kind of audiences you're targeting, that can all be very valuable. Yeah, the third one was I hate what my kids watch. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Because there's the the idea that if your kids are watching anything on TV, you have to suffer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't have to be that way. All three of them worked in different degrees. I think the one you said, the attack on the family one where family is discarded out of fantasy and then the um, sexuality and, and violence and gore being too prevalent in fantasy. And this is like, still has the high stakes when those two did really, really well, the family and the violence one. So the latest one that worked really well for me for another campaign, Truth and Conviction, was the focus on how teenagers don't have enough examples in media of characters that really inspire them of what they're capable of as people and not just waiting to be an adult or anything like that. But in the Truth and Conviction story, it's Helmut Hübner, right? He's this teen figure from history. He was a German who saw essentially the rise of the Nazi regime and was kind of calling out the warning signs of it. And he was doing it through really eloquent writing, but he was doing it under a pseudonym, right? He was disguising his identity, but he was circulating this literature and these things to kind of inform other people of like, this is not cool what's happening. Like, yeah. this is this is not right. Warning, Will Robinson. <laughs> uh-huh. Danger, yeah. He was kind of a Paul Revere of his time and inspired a lot of change for the resistance against the Nazis and then ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice for it mm-hmm. um, in that he was captured by the Nazis and eventually they killed him. To me, that resonated big time. It's like, there's not enough of these kind of stories out there for, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a you know a 17-year-old and a 16-year-old boys and, and a 14-year-old girl and I'm just like, that would be so cool for them to see this story and be inspired by like what they're capable of, you know? Yeah. One of the things that I think that we've learned and evolved from the learning of, at first, I think with Angel, like the message that we led with in a lot of Angel projects was like, Hollywood, those big executive idiots, they Mm -hmm. don't know anything. Right. 
You know, which I think does work to a degree, and it can, but I think it's what you... It worked some, I think, with The Chosen. Yeah, and it worked with The Chosen because there's so many stark examples yeah. of, like, really flopping and on it, religious content. And it worked some with Tuttle Twins as well. And now I feel like there's a shift to be more what you just said, Daniel, of, like, what is missing in the world? Not let's rail against Hollywood and how bad they're doing at this. It's like, what do we want to bring into existence that doesn't? What is lacking in our modern day and age that we want to have for ourselves and for our kids and for our families to absorb as far as content to inspire us or to uplift us. And yeah. that's like, a, I think a really compelling message. It's good to have a villain in some cases. It's a good talking point to kind of emphasize the problem that exists because of the villain in this case, like, you know, in Hollywood doing bad religious films or bad scripture based films. But I think the more compelling thing and the more exciting thing for a lot of people is hearing really great stories and really great concepts that inspire them with a lot of excitement or expire them in a way it's like, well, I haven't heard something like that in such a long time, or I've never heard something like that ever be done in a really cool way. I want that to exist. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that Angel does on their platform is they ask their jury or the people who are kind of vetting the concepts. It's not how much would you want this to be made one to 10? It's like, how disappointed would you be if this didn't get made? That's right. Not disappointed, disappointed, or very disappointed, you know, is kind of the measure. And if it's very disappointed, it's like, oh yeah, they really want this to be made. You yeah. know, they really want this to be willed into existence. I mean, that's a really good point you make on that. Just changing gears for one second. I think when it comes to the actual creation of the campaign itself, just like with any, you know, campaign we've ever done, your marketing is only as ever good as the product or service itself. It'll ring hollow if it's not really delivering in the way it's supposed to. One of the things on Tuttle Twins that we kind of broke ground on and pioneered was how early stage in development the story could be told and people could catch the vision of it. Mm-hmm in order to want to invest. So in the case of The Chosen, they had a whole pilot episode. It was very finished piece. Mm-hmm. It was very much just like, oh. Um, this is what it'll look this like. This is what it'll look like. Yeah. This is what it'll be like. This I just like want episode more. episode one. Yeah, I just want more <laughs> of this. Yeah, give me more of that. I'll invest in that, right? In the case of Tuttle Twins, that was sort of the case, but we released an animatic to the public, which means no finished animation. We debated whether or not we needed to finish shots, animation shots. And we were having a really hard time at that point finding a dependable animation company Mm -hmm. to do the work. We're like, oh, we've got to have some finished animation so they have some idea of what it is. But ultimately, we just kind of landed on having some really cool character designs Mm -hmm. that were ready to go that people could see of like the main characters. And then we did the pilot episode in animatic form, meaning just a collection of storyboards, temporary voices, temporary sound, temporary music, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But you could see the episode from beginning to end, you know, 22 minutes long in its entirety, but just with rough storyboards that played out and you could catch the vision of it. And that was enough to sell people on it. And I think when it comes to the principles in entrepreneurship of a minimum viable product, Mm -hmm. um, that ends up applying here too and kind of what people can buy into when it comes to your ability to deliver on the final product of whatever original content you're trying to get crowdfunded or whatever. Yeah, it was it was surprising to I think all of us to be like, oh, people get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wing Feather had a really finished product, like you said, yep. Chosen did. Just seeing the fruits of that one episode and being like, oh yeah, I see there's this is like not finished, but I can get it was was really shocking and how much of an impact that had on people's willingness to like actually invest money into the project was huge. So I think that can't be understated of, you know, whatever development assets you have at that point, you need to leverage those things to do a reg CF and really show the crowd that you have the chops or at the core of it, you have the story that they want, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and we had shown it to enough people in the development of it that we started hearing things like, 
oh, my kids have watched that three times over and it was just an animatic. There's nothing finished. And I was like, oh, there's something to this. It was over Angel. They started saying, we think you can just run with this animatic pilot and you don't have to develop any of the animation at all. Because I was like, oh, I've got to have the first two minutes of animation done or whatever. And then so people can get a sense of where this is going. Like, no, just do it as as is. And yeah, and it it worked out. So that was was really encouraging and really kind of fun to see come together. Yeah. And then going back a little bit to what you said about like having a really great product. We've lived this the whole time. We've worked at Harm Brothers and as we've done campaigns, so we turned down at people who are literally throwing cash at us. Right. You know, who are like, do this thing. And we're like, yeah, but your product sucks. <laughs> you know, we've, we've yeah. I, or there's just, no, there's nothing special about it. I don't know. Just not, yeah, I can't not, think of an angle to hit this from, you yeah. know. If we make the flashiest, coolest, like sexiest looking video in the world, yep. if, if it's just like, what is it? It's a sponge. You know, people are going to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? What kind of sponge? Just, it's a sponge with different packaging than that sponge. <laughs> it's, different. It's, it's, it's green <laughs> yeah. instead of yellow. Yeah, exactly. When we've looked at like doing reg CFs with people, because there's lots of people that have approached stuff at Harm Brothers at different points of time and different people that have come over through Angel's portal. We've looked at a lot. It already goes through some level of vetting, even getting to that point through Angel. And I think that we've turned down projects just purely on the basis of like, we've, it's got to have substance. It's got to have right. the right story that has a market for it. And not every story does. You know what I mean? And so that's like a big part of our process is making sure you've got the right story and you got the right product in this case, the right media to like build this campaign around. Yeah. And that's what was so successful at the end of the day with The Chosen and with David and all these others with Wing Feathers. The product was there. You could see it. And if we invested in it, you were going to get a bunch more of that. And that was, that was easy for people to buy into. One of the things I guess I'd say in the way of just straight up self-promotion <laughs> is that if... if Please watch Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> well, no, but if they haven't downloaded the Angel app, which is yeah. free, and you can find all this content on there, they should do that. You know, look it up on Google Play or the App Store and get that app and you can watch all this stuff for free. And if you are, you know, interested in what projects are maybe out there for funding, invest.com. Angel.com is where you can go to. And then to kind of wrap up, I guess, hit a few bullets. Your campaign needs to show how it solves a real problem, fills a space in the market, right? Mm -hmm. You have to show that there's a monetization model that has some backing behind it and speak to your investors, not speak to your target audience of your viewers. Yep. And you've got to have a good product to begin with that Mm -hmm. can sell them on it. And at the end of the day, it is going to be a roller coaster (laughs) (laughs) when you jump into one of these campaigns. Yeah. And it's going to be a lot of a lot of stress for about a month. And having those different variations, the different oh, messages, yeah. and having that preparation going in for on the crowdfunding phase is going to be essential to success on those things. That's right. Absolutely. You need to be able to test in and optimize to the right message so that you can nail that marketing when that time comes. Yep. Awesome. Tired of playing catch-up on your marketing approach? Plan your whole year of ad content with our video strategy in a day. The Harmon Brothers are known for their ad work with Lumi, Purple, and Skull Shaver. And now we're offering a 20-minute video that helps you strategize your best profit-pushing ad research, messaging, and testing for free. Because a win for great businesses is a win for all of us. Go to harmanbrothers.com forward slash video strategy to save future you a lot of stress with no pitch and nothing to buy.